Culture is an outcome. It's a result of. Well, what is it a result of? So I came up with this simple formula that that behaviors plus time multiplied by everybody in your organization, that's going to be your culture. So how we all go to work every day and behave, uh, you add all that up with everybody coming to work, there's your culture. That can either be purposeful or it can be whatever unintended, whatever, the, you know, and then suffer the consequences of, of that. Uh, so, so when you're thinking about values, if you, if you don't have core values in your company, you should consider them. And then how would you do that? Well, think to yourself, and this goes, you know, led by the CEO, you know, what is it that you believe? How, do, how do you behave every day? And are, and, and how would you define those behaviors? Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO podcast, I speak with a former presidential communications officer for President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama, who served with the US Army in Iraq, is an executive leadership coach, and the author of the book, From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom. His education includes an Associate of Science in Aviation Business Administration from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from Australia University, and an MBA from the University of Michigan. He has held director roles in HR with the US Army, White House Communications Agency, Simventions, Permuta Technologies, Advantia Health, and National Spine and Pain Centers. As an entrepreneur, he has founded Bravo West Inc., Hale Media Group Limited, and the Bo and Luke podcast show. I'm honored and privileged to introduce to you a consummate professional who is known for a servant and pragmatic leadership, is an inspirational keynote speaker, and believes values drive results. Bo Bravo. Bo, welcome to the show. Hi, Craig. It is fantastic to be here. I appreciate the invitation and opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome. No, it's good to have you on the show and, you, and you've got a wealth of experience behind you. And I, I love the work that you're doing there in the USA. Thank you. Where did life start out for you and what fueled your fire in the belly as a child? Yeah, life start, started out for me when I attended uh, what we called career day when I was in high school. Uh, 17 years old, I was in 11th grade. And we had all of these professionals come to our school to talk about what they did. Like, here are your opportunities, all you young minds, here are your opportunities and the types of fields that you can go into and study. The most, the most popular session of the day was the, was the U.S. Army recruiter. That mm. person or that group had, I think, hundreds of kids in there listening to what they had to pitch. So of course I was one of those kids that went to that session and it wasn't shortly, wasn't shortly thereafter where I found myself uh, in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, with the army recruiter 
uh, and this was the this was the Army National Guard. So it's the the state state of Michigan, uh, the Guard Force serve one weekend a month, two weeks in the summer, and so forth. It's a component of of the regular Army, and everything that they were telling me was just sending light bulbs off in my head that this was something that I wanted to do. I was intrigued, sounded interesting, fascinating. So I I raised my right hand and I enlisted in the Army National Guard. Now I was only 17, so my parents had to consent. Uh, I went to basic training uh, right after my junior year of high school, so in the summertime. And that that was a pivotal moment for me, Craig, in that that summer under um, well, lots of things happened that summer, but you get all hundreds of hundreds of men coming from around the country, all all races, all backgrounds, you name it, and then put under the charge of these three drill, drill sergeants who were mean. Uh, they knew how to break you down, all of you, and and then build you back up as a soldier. But in reality, what I really learned, and I feel blessed to have learned it at at a young age, was discipline. Mm. I learned I learned what it what it meant to get up every day at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, get started with physical fitness and, and how to work together in teams and really how to follow. So I wasn't a leader. I had no idea what leadership was. So I first learned how to follow. We were at the direction and influence of those drill sergeants. They were leading us. So we all learned how, how to follow, which uh, when I look back on that and I, and I study leadership and I talk about leadership, I think you you have to be a good follower and know what that is so you can even demonstrate empathy uh, for the people that you're leading and, and what they think about following you as the leader now. So that that's the pivotal moment for me. That's that's uh, that's where it all began. Uh, 17 years old boot camp uh, in the United States Army. Yeah, very good. And, and that, you know, it's a great perspective there as well, because yeah. people think, oh, you know, you need to learn leadership. But I love that approach of, you know, you need to learn to be a follower first. So you understand yeah. what is required when you are actually become a leader. I think that's fantastic. I, yeah, no, I, you know, you think about um, being able to follow, but part of followership is listening. You have to listen to to commands and people giving you in that scenario, people giving you orders. But in reality, there's times, you know, even when you're learning how to shoot weapons uh, where they're keeping you safe and and being able, number one, being able to listen uh, and understand who the commands are coming from, who's in charge and, and following their lead, I think was very, very important. And I think it's an important aspect of leadership. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I think I think I got lucky, really, at mm. an early age to learn that. So. And, and 2020 has been a really interesting year where when, when COVID hit and crisis, you know, sort of took over the world in, in many, many different ways, we could really see that people look to be led. Yes. And so, you know, we, we've gone through this phase over the last few years where it's all about collaborative leadership, collaborative leadership, and which is, which is good, right? You need it at certain times, yeah. but when, sure. when things are tough, when things are uncertain, that's when people look for someone to lead them. Mm -hmm. I agree with that completely. It's crisis, right? So this time around, everybody's in crisis. Every company's in crisis. Every company's trying to figure out what to do next. Um, they, don't, they don't necessarily have the playbook in place uh, that says, this is how we, how we respond to crisis. So mm -hmm. leaders and people are absolutely looking for 
that person uh, that's going to take charge and and guide them. And I think that is that's a component of crisis leadership, which you could probably do, or maybe you've already done a single episodes just on leading during crisis. Uh, but that uh, you're absolutely right. That's what people wanted. That's what they were looking for. And it's in those times where where I think the great leaders step up, uh, step up to the challenge. And, you know, the the title of the podcast, Active CEO, sometimes it's not the CEO that that's found in. Um, could be uh, uh, someone else in the organization that says, I can take charge of this and I can lead this effort. Correct. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's totally true. So you're in, the, you're in the U.S. Army and you're a 17-year-old. Uh, you're being led at that time. You know, as you develop through the Army, you know, what was starting to kind of shine through for you as something that really resonated with you and you were like, yeah. well, you know, I want to grasp this and learn it and be, you know, someone who is a leader in that space? Sure. I think from the very beginning, uh, the, the U.S. Army has this amazing, uh, I think it's amazing professional development, formal education, internal to the organization itself, taught by leaders in the organization that are at, at the levels above you, and they're coming back, and now they're teaching, teaching the underlings, if you will. And one of the very, very, very first things uh, that I was being taught, uh, now I'm being taught from, the, from a leadership perspective, but I had witnessed it as a follower, if you will, uh, was really how to take care of people, taking care of the people that you lead and what that really meant. And, and you know, back in the day, uh, old school, if you will, no smartphones. So it's, you know, it's really, it's almost like carrying a binder around where you had all the information on every single person that you were responsible for. You knew everything about them. You knew where they grew up, where their hometown was, who their, you know, names of their parents, uh, you knew who their their brothers and sisters were, what their birthdays were, if they graduated from high school, are they taking courses to go to college? I mean, you just knew so much about them so that you could support them in every way. And also you would you would start learning how to identify when someone's having a bad day and what might be impacting that that day. You know, were they late for work? Why were they late for work? Did they get a call from home? Is mom or dad sick? You know, some, anything along those lines uh, really started to to resonate with um, I think that one of the most fascinating components of leadership is super critical is to really show your people that you care about them. Mm. So it's always a discussion today in 2020 is how do, how do you do that? How do you show, how do you show your team members that you really, really, really care about them and you have their best interests at heart? You know, you're taking, you're taking the heat when things go wrong. You're giving credit to the team when things go right, those types of things. And, and how do you do that? And, how do you really how do you really drive or build a high high performing team? Um, I think a lot of it starts with how 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 much depth you give to caring about your team, and that's what I was learning at the very very beginning of my leadership development. And I think that's uh, when we talk about care, right? So if yeah. people feel like they're cared for, then loyalty starts to kick in, and then you build trust, which you know, especially when you're in a life or death situation or you're in a crisis right. situation inside an organization, you need that loyalty and trust. So it all comes back to care. Yeah, I think it does. Which is very good. So you, moving on a little bit here. So you became director of human resource services and you were managing teams in Germany and Iraq for the US yeah. Army. What were your greatest achievements in this role? 
Oh, wow. That's a fantastic question. I think, I think the greatest achievement in that particular role was taking my team and we had a large team we supported. So we're, we're overseas. So we're supporting a community of about 16,000 Americans all living overseas in a, in a foreign country. So we're taking, we're responsible for in that environment, all of the um, immigration and the visa processing and so forth, not just for the service member, but for their spouse and their children and so forth. And so we're supporting about 16th, an organization, let's say 16,000 people. Uh, and I had an, I had an HR team uh, that I was responsible for of about 80 people. So not all direct reports, but 80 total and about 10 direct reports out of that. And then to pick up that operation, so, you, so you're doing it in Germany, it's a safe place, you know, it's, it's like, shoot, it's just like being in the United States almost, only you've got a foreign language to deal with. Um, but then to pick that up, and now it's time to go to Iraq to combat, but to pick that operation up and move it uh, to Iraq and still perform exactly what you're supposed to perform uh, for all of the service members and soldiers who are overseas or are in combat uh, was a significant lift a significant effort because uh, then then you're talking about leading in you know there's no better there's no better description of crisis than being in combat and that's an everyday thing and there's not necessarily a solution from an individual day-to-day -day operation uh, except for get through the day take care of your people uh, lead them the best you can and be and try to be as safe as you can uh, because it's 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 truly life and death uh, possibilities and, and that's the kind of risk that you deal with. And you know that it's there, but you still have to operate. You still have to do your best to accomplish the mission. So I think getting through that time and being at my best every day and, you know, 18, 19 hours a day, seven days a week uh, was, a, was a super accomplishment for me. Um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating time when I look back and really study try to think about and analyze uh, that time period and all the things that we did as an organization or in our, and with our teams uh, in that environment uh, was, was quite incredible. Hmm. How, how long were you working in that role where you, you've got people in the combat zone and you're working those sort of 17, 18, 19 hours a day? Yeah, so I was in Iraq for six months. I was in the role total for three years um, in Germany. Uh, I was in Iraq for six months and then I, I I went back uh, a little bit early from the rest of my team to start setting up the whole reintegration process uh, for when everybody's coming back. And then it's, it's like you're you have to go through that. Uh, it's just like now I make the analogy and I, I actually taught a course on this um, for reintegrating your teams after COVID. Right. So mm. when offices start to bring people back into the office, you're coming out of a crisis. How do you do that? How do you reintegrate people back into what you would want to say maybe is normal or back to the normal way, or it could be the new normal. So, so now you're reintegrating all of these uh, soldiers, tens over 10,000 of them back with their families, but yet they've had this experience that their families can't really um, relate to. Uh, so there's a lot that goes with reintegrating, um, reintegrating people after you've been through a crisis so that's when I went back to I went back to lead that effort for my organization, uh, which still included because there's so much to do. Um, it was still seven days a week, long, long days in prepping for everybody to come back to Germany. Um, so not a short time, 
that's for sure. And and so from that time where you're reintegrating your team back into the USA and and somewhat normal life, what what did what were some one or two key lessons that you learned from that that um, CEOs or leaders can integrate yeah. into their businesses as they return to back to back to the office again, you know, sort of post COVID. Yeah, I think that uh, just like you mentioned earlier, that you know, during a crisis or during COVID, people are looking for that one person to kind of, to take charge. Uh, just because, especially in the early stages, uh, it seems to be over or you're getting back to normal. I think I think for a time frame, whether it's three months, six months, or even a year, that that leader cannot really take their foot off the gas because they're gonna they're gonna now transition. People know they they trust them. People have been following them. And now they're in this next phase, uh, post post crisis, if you will, and they just can't they can't disappear. They got They got to still keep their um, keep their leadership attributes strong and in charge, and and be the source of information and guidance, communication, and how the company or your organization is moving back into this post post crisis environment super important that the leader keeps a hold of keeps a hold of the team so that things don't get out of control uh which which can happen you know if, if you just kind of let go and say whoo that's over you know you could end up right back into from a company perspective of not really getting back on track or back on a path or be on a path that you want to be on to be profitable and successful and have a great culture and so forth so you're working some incredibly long hours and I'm sure the stress levels are, are really high. You're, yeah. you're, you're lacking in sleep. So how did you try and manage yourself during that time to ensure that you, you could turn up in your A game every day, that um, yep. your, your mental alertness was there, that you weren't showing signs of fatigue for your team? Yeah. You know, before the show, we were talking health. You mentioned health and wellness. So even during even during the rough times and when you're in crisis, you you know we did it while we were in Iraq. We're in a combat zone. We still worked out. We still did push-ups, sit-ups. We would run when we could run, um, and so forth. Did as much partner-assisted exercising, because you know keeping the body physically fit uh, is a is a good way to to keep your mental get your mental game on track. Uh, but it's but it's just a way to get through those long days, you know. So. So fitness is super, super important, fitness and exercise. And I'm not saying go be a bodybuilder, that, that's what you have to do, but being fit and being active on a daily basis um, promotes your physical health, uh, which, can, which in turn promotes your mental health. And, and then you add the right type of uh, hydration and nutrition, and diet, uh, it, it's all super important. Really, I think those are, the most important things to get through the continuous long days you have to take time uh and i would i you know i recommend a lot of people do do it in the morning you know get up early do it first thing so it's out of the way and you're not worrying about it really kind of sets you up for your day Hmm. but you got to do it don't don't (laughs) let it don't let it slip or slide away and and i'm sure a lot of people listening have worn a a nice um, tread through from their office to the kitchen <laughs> during yeah. this time so it's, it's so important to put things in the fridge or in your kitchen that are actually healthy because the last thing you want is when you're tired you, you kind of grasp sometimes for those sugary drinks or or you know sweets yeah. and and things that probably yes will give you a short-term hit but long-term are not so good for you 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And I think that's a great, that's a great comment about when I talk to people and they ask, you know, well, how do you do it? Or how, you know, if you say, well, get up early. Okay, well, how do you get up early? You know, or eat healthy. How do you eat healthy? Well, you have to prep the battlefield, if you will, yeah. right? So if you got to get up early, okay, and you, you're not used to that, well, don't use your phone. Get an old school wind up alarm clock, set it across the room so you have to jump out of bed, you know, but then make sure right next to the alarm clock is a glass of water. So you drink a glass of water and start hydrating yourself uh, right away. So it's prepping. You're right. I think it's great. It's a great analogy. You prep the space uh, so that you make it through the day. And then at the end of the day, prep the space, make sure it's prepped for the next day. That's, that's super good. Yeah, it is. It is, and and obviously you learned discipline in the in the army. My discipline was was being a swimmer and and being an uh -huh. athlete from from a very very young age. And you know, yeah, it just becomes normal practice now. I don't need alarms. I just wake up at four thirty or five every morning I'm, and away I'm I go. The, I'm the exact same. I don't need an alarm clock. I'm up between usually between four a.m. and five a.m. And as long as I'm I'm up in that time frame, I have exact. I'm able to execute my day the the, the way that I want to. Uh, yeah, lots of great similarities between elite athletes and and what you've learned uh, through that process as there are with with elite soldiers or soldiers in general and what they learn along the ways when it comes to commitment and discipline and and so forth, because to be really, really, really good, uh, it, that's what it takes. Mm, it certainly does. And, and I think just just kind of on a side note there, too, you know, I've been doing um, with with my business partner, we're doing some work with uh, Qantas Airlines recently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about redeployment. Um, you talk about being in the in defense or being an athlete or, or being a pilot, right? You know, mm -hmm. what's happened right now for, you know, the athletes and the pilots is so foreign to them because now they're in th their whole life and, and what their routines that they're used to are totally disrupted. Um, yeah. You think of a pilot who's, maybe at home two days a week because the rest of the time they're flying. So their life is out of a suitcase and, you know, 30,000 feet yeah. up in the air type thing. It's so different, but now they're stuck in this new place. What do I do now? How does this work? How do I get around, um, you know, what I'm so used to? It's yeah. a real challenge. Oh, I can imagine that it's a challenge for them. Um, we had a great, we had one of our own guests on our, on our show. And you think about, um, uh, I thought she came up with her and her counterparts uh, were dealing with this exact thing. And they are, you know, they're act actors and actresses on some top uh, U.S. TV shows. And we had this we had one of them on our podcast and, you know, they, they postponed all of their postponed all of their filming. Right. So now she's sitting at home all day mm -hmm. and uh, she used to go to, you know, to keep their skills relevant just because they have work and they're on a popular TV show, uh, they still go to acting classes and so forth and, and get continue to get better and better and better at their craft. Well, those are canceled. So there's no more in-person mm. um, classes. So th they just got creative and they, her and a bunch of her uh, counterparts, they do Zoom sessions like this with each other and they let one person lead. Okay, we're this is what we're going to study this week. And, and they kept that um, took them a minute. They didn't figure that out right away, mm. but, but it, but in, in time they figured out a solution that could help themselves stay relevant. And Oh, by the way, help them feel like they're still working in the industry, uh, that they're part of. Um, 
yeah, you got to find those creative solutions and hopefully you have people that you can engage with to help you get there. I think the, I think the one industry that must be it must be so foreign right now is someone who's like a, a top musician band etc who might play in front of twenty thirty thousand people. Yeah. To now trying to do that on Zoom where you don't have that emotions and immediate feedback that you do. I mean, it must I be it's it must hard. be so weird. <laughs> it's got to be incredibly weird. It was um, it was uh, April April or May when I did a. Uh, you know, I've done, I've done speaking in the past, but it's always been in person, you know, keynote speaking, leading workshops or whatever the case might be at conferences and you name it. Uh, fireside chats, you know, are great because you're in person and you're just having this really engaged discussion, but you're in person. And then I did this, I did this webinar uh, for a company out of Texas. And even though I knew that there, there were 50 to 100 people in attendance to the webinar, I couldn't see any of them. Mm. I'm there was a moderator who did the introduction, and then I gave this presentation and I basically talked to the camera for an hour, and I had no idea who I was talking to. There was no back and forth engagement, and I tell you, that was tough. It, it was, I enjoyed it, but was it as uh, rewarding of an experience as being in person with a hundred people? No because you, you didn't have any of the banter or you didn't have any of the back and forth, the, 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 the real engagement. Hmm. So I can only imagine from a professional musician who's used to that raw excitement of 30,000 fans screaming while they're playing. Yeah. It's great that you're, you know, you're on zoom and people are listening, but you know, that's absent. It has, to, it has to be absent. That'd be tough. Yeah. Let's move on here. And sure. Oh, You've had some incredible opportunities in your in your life, you know, following working in the U.S. Army. You know, I want to know what it's like to lead a team behind the voice of the nation. Yeah, fast. Uh, it was it was the highlight of my highlight of my professional life for sure. Have the opportunity to to lead communication teams for President Bush and President Obama. So um, huge responsibility. And and even as the leader of those teams, I had my own duties to perform. So I, I couldn't I couldn't just you know, you had to have it goes back to trust. You know, you're building the, that trust and confidence and taking care of people because you had you had people on your team that you had to trust, get their job done as well. Or what you had to accomplish in a six day time frame just wasn't would not get accomplished. So uh, we would go out in advance of the president uh, going to speak somewhere uh, anywhere in the world. And if it was in the United States, we were out a week prior uh, to whatever event that he was going to attend and speak at. So you, you've got six and a half days, if you will, uh, to, to receive all your equipment and get it all set up. And you're performing um, secure, non-secure voice communications, audiovisual uh, information technology from an IT perspective. Just as if the president and his staff were sitting in the White House, so you're delivering the same capability, only you're doing it on the road, hmm. and and you walk into a city and none of that exists, and you have to get it all set up. And I think the um, the the benefit that I received from that and through that experience, and I did that for eight years, uh, was the was the aspect of performing and leading those teams in what we used to call a zero defect environment. And that, uh, you know, the president's going to arrive, president's going to speak, 
you don't get to do a rehearsal with the president before he steps up to the microphone. It's, it's, it's go time, 100% go. You have to be ready and you have to have that stuff all set up and working uh, prior to his arrival. So there's a lot of, uh, my gosh, it's you know checklist after checklist. It's a daily checklist. This is everything that you have to accomplish uh, on, this, on every single day leading up to what we call game day and the president's arrival. And then following the departure, there's still things that you have to get done. And, you know, I try to always encourage people uh, in, in building systems. So it's not just having goals, but it's building systems that you can execute against or lead your people within in order to hit your milestones or achieve the objectives or exceed your objectives uh, moving forward. So in that environment, uh, you know, you get, the, you get the call that you're gonna lead a team. And oh, by the way, you didn't get the same team every time. So I might go to Iowa, I might have an event within Washington, D.C., or I go to Utah. I don't always have the same team members uh, on, those, on those events. So you have to trust in your fellow leaders that they, too, are building their teams or building the people because everybody's coming together to execute, execute this event and you're in charge. Uh, so working hand in hand with Secret Service uh, from the security perspective and the White House staff, leading the overall event. And then of course, all the people on the ground, it was an exhilarating experience uh, for me. And it's kind of everything, I kind of try to bottle all that up as much as I can in the leadership development that I do today. Yeah, brilliant. And, and like you talked about, you know, your week lead in there, and I was about to say, you know, it's like, it's like being a professional sports team in a way, but then you start talking about, okay, no, well, we got a whole lot of subs coming in and, <laughs> and people yeah. changing all the time. So that throws a whole new dimension into what you do. Were you, were there times when you got real short notice as well? It's like, bang, there's, yeah. there's, there's obviously, because imagine, you know, there's things happening around the world that in sure. an instance, you need to, the, the president needs to stand up and deliver a speech. Yeah. Yeah. So we had at rapid response teams for sure. Absolutely. So it's, it's grabbing. So it's modifying. Uh, think about uh, when you have to respond to something in a rapid format, it doesn't mean that you throw, you don't throw everything out the window that you're used to doing. You just have a modified, a modified plan of attack in order to respond to that. So yeah, so when there's a crisis somewhere in the country and the president says, hey, tomorrow I wanna go there, right? There's a team on standby uh, ready to do that. And they already know this is, this is the modified game plan. Uh, we'll still deliver what we have to deliver, but maybe certain things get adjusted uh, and so forth. Uh, so, so yeah, so you have to be, you have to be ready. And, and that's all about planning in, in advance. Hmm. So companies today, you've been through, everybody has been through this and still in it, really, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? So are you planning? Are you learning? Are you doing after action reviews? Are you learning from what has happened and what you've had to do over the past eight months uh, to survive and maybe to thrive? And are you creating that playbook for the next time that it comes? So it's the pre-planning now so that you can respond uh, accordingly the next time. Yeah. Yeah, which is, and, and obviously you talked about there spending eight years with um, both President Bush and Obama. You, for you and your interactions with them, you know, what stood out as the greatest difference in working with hmm. two successful presidents? Yeah, they had very different personalities. Uh, and I think those came out even on, on TV, but even behind the scenes, they came out. 
um, which was which was fantastic to to be part of uh, my role. Uh, this is this is why I drive so hard on values based leadership, and I write about this in my book. It's like how do you how how does a group of employees, if you will, transition from one polarizing administration to another polarizing administration that are very different, but yet you have to keep performing the same mission because you're supporting the office of the president, not just the individual, or you're, you're not supporting their politics, but there's an office here, the head of the country that has to get, um, there's, there's things that have to get done and there's a mission that has to be accomplished regardless of who's in that seat. Um, so, so the differences between the two, uh, you've seen them every day. President Bush was very, uh, from what I witnessed, it seemed like he was very, um, stiff, if you will, you know, suit and tie all the time, not too laid back or didn't demonstrate being laid back, you know, in front of, in front of the teams. Um, President Obama, smile on his face all the time, very charismatic, you know, so the the charisma that he showed on TV is the same charisma I saw behind the scenes. I don't think you were seeing, I wasn't seeing a different person than the public saw um, and, and very engaging. Hmm. So yeah, different personalities, uh, both very, very uh, smart. Every time you heard them speak, um, even in closed events where the press was not allowed, but we were inside the event um, recording the, the event and so forth, doing what we were supposed to be doing. Uh, so, so you definitely saw very um, intelligent individuals uh, that, that were in these positions. You're like, wow, these people really, you know, what they're able to talk about uh, and have and demonstrate expertise in and real thought, thought leadership, if you will, hmm. for, you know, based upon their beliefs and so forth, it was pretty profound. Yeah. You know, from, from my perspective, looking from the outside in, you, you saw the use of power and influence um, being in different ways, you know, so you'd yeah. see more Bushwood start with power, like lead with power, but then the influence would come from behind, whereas Obama was more influencing with the power sitting in the back end. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating yeah, no, approach. Right. Yeah, two different approaches, uh, for sure. Uh, which was which was really kind of cool to see from the from behind the scenes, uh, if you will, play out in front of your in front of your eyes. Only being backstage instead of out in front of the stage, uh, it was it was a yeah it was one of those lifetime, once in a lifetime type of opportunities uh, that I had. And you talk about the presidential quality. Uh, what is that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because everybody used to ask that. Everybody would say, "What is presidential quality?" and <laughs> our executive directors of our organization, they would always say, well, let me tell you what it isn't. I don't know that I can put, and they would say the same thing. I don't know if I can put a finger on what presidential quality is, but I can tell you what presidential quality is not. You know, so things like, you know, a teleprompter glass falling while the pres falling off its stand while the president is in the middle of giving their speech, that's not presidential quality. And that happened, that unfortunately um, has happened uh, a couple times and it's embarrassing to the president. So, hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, anything that could bring, um, embarrassment or discredit, uh, to the president himself or to the office of the presidency would be not presidential quality. So not being ready for not being ready for your event would not be presidential quality, you know, skipping something on the checklist, not presidential quality, not doing your 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 communication checks 
you know, not checking out all the communications inside the limousine and doing them the right way. And, you know, following the, the, the checklist, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure you've, you've done absolutely everything that, you know, that's presidential quality, making sure you're doing it and not doing it would, could be detrimental Hmm. and cause some type of catastrophe uh, potential. Yeah. So since Obama, we have seen quite a change in the way that USA has been led. And we've probably seen one of the most fascinating presidential elections periods you know, of all time recently. What can leaders learn from the way that political leaders are able to influence, persuade and mobilize followers? Yeah, I think uh, I think when you look at when you when you look at any of the whether it's President Trump today, President Obama before him, or President Bush, uh, I think you have to pay particular attention to uh, to how they're influencing their their followers uh, and so forth, and and try to take it take whatever lessons you can learn from that. Uh, some will be good. Some some you may want to emulate. Others you may not. Uh, and try to separate the propaganda from from the actual influence from a leadership perspective. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy for me, you know, even even now looking, you know, as a spectator from the outside and no longer on the inside. Um, great question. Great question, because it's it's not easy mm. from that world. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It, it's it. I mean, from afar, it's been, you know, for those that are into reality TV, it, it's this last presidential election has been, it, it, a lot of people have been really absorbed into, yeah. how is this playing out? Why is this playing out this way? This is so different. Yeah. I can't believe this is happening. So it, it's, it has, like, I, for me, I tried, like, I, I don't tend to follow much of this type of thing, but I saw so yeah. many people gravitated to it. So there was obviously something around it that was really attractive to people. Yeah, I, I think I think, you know, what I've what I've witnessed here and I, and I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. Uh, and it's something that that we try, you know, it's a mission of our podcast, Craig, that we're, one of the things we're trying to do is is get people of different opinions, like completely different opinions. To be to be and to be on the show to talk about why they believe a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or delve into their opinion, without saying my opinion's this just because I don't like the other guy or I don't like the other opinion, right? <laughs> and and we get a lot of that here from from the national stage, is is people not being able to describe what they like or what they what they support, what the things are they support of their their candidate or their who they want to be the leader of the country, but you get a lot of what they don't like about the other person mm-hmm. that, that at some point, you know, I would think has to change. You got to be able to defend your position, debate it. I would like to see more of that yeah. uh, going forward. Yeah, I totally agree. You, we've talked about the, uh, you brought it up briefly around after action review and yeah. You know, we see so many people in the world who spend so much time, well, actually not always, they spend a lot of time executing. Some spend quite a bit of time pre-planning, but very few actually do the review, which to me and listening to what you've been saying today is the real crucial part. And I know in defense it is, right? That's where all the learning's happening. That's where you set up for the next 
opportunity to right. execute effectively. Mm-hmm. For you, what are the crucial ingredients of the after action review that people need to be aware of and, and start implementing yeah. if they're not doing it yeah. already? The very first ingredient is to put it in the phase that you just mentioned in the planning. So you have to plan for it in the beginning before you execute so that the team knows that you're going to do like it's not over until we've con- until we've conducted the after action review at the end, whatever that is, maybe a company's launching a new product, right? So you're planning about you're planning for this product launch and then the product launches and then what? Well, in the planning stage, you need to have planned for a full evaluation of the entire product launch from begin from the planning stage all the way through the execution stage and getting it into distribution and the initial marketing and so forth. Uh, and then you have to sit your teams down and and in you know in a in a concise format, because you plan for it, people know it's coming. They you would have put out guidance in the beginning to keep track of to keep track of what's happening, whether that's just through meeting notes, uh, project notes, whatever the case might be, keeping good minutes along the way good records along the way and everybody involved everybody involved in the event we'll just call it an event has to be invited to the after action review with full transparency that they can discuss their piece of the pie uh in an open environment without judgment right and you're focusing on you're focusing on in this event what went wrong or from your perspective from each individual's perspective what went right? What what did you do well? And then you start talking about what you could have done differently or what you need to do differently for the next event, right? And then you got to have all of that um, captured uh, in some type of documentation, a video, whatever it is you used on the day of the the actor action review, so that you can you can plug that into your strategy planning uh, the next time around, so that you don't repeat the same. Number one, you build upon what you did really well. So you continue to do that better and better. And you focus, and then you, you focus on not doing the things where you made maybe bad mistakes um, along the way so that you can correct them, correct them and take corrective action in the future. Uh, but you're right, if you don't do that, I think you're, you're destined to, com- to, to repeat uh, things, that, things that you've always done in the past and may not get the, res- the you may get the same results, but maybe you're not getting better results, mm. right? Revenue growth, profit growth, uh, market, you know, increase your market share, whatever the case might be. Uh, if you want to go after those things, you got to put the right things in place to ensure that you're always improving. The constant and never ending improvement is so, so crucial. Yeah. In your book, From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, you focus on executing with precision. Can you share a little bit around what the book is about and what its intention is for? Yeah, absolutely. So the book, Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, the title defines my journey, if you, my personal journey. And, uh, but infused in there, so in, in writing stories about my journey, I really focus on, on values, on values and values, what it means for values-based leadership. And I use my stories and then I'll, I'll tell a story and I'll give an example of like the values that were demonstrated in that story from either myself uh, or leaders that were over me and leading me, if you will. And the things that I saw that they were doing really well that embodied the values of the organization. And 
and what I what I did on the front end was come up with a formula that that defines culture because I'm like I'm not writing a book about culture. There's all kinds of books on culture, uh, and there's a lot of people that speak on it. But I'm like, let's define, in my opinion, in a formula, what culture is. So I went to the dictionary and I'm like, okay, form culture is an outcome. It's a result of. Well, what is it a result of? So I came up with this simple formula that that behaviors plus time multiplied by everybody in your organization, that's going to be your culture. So how we all go to work every day and behave, uh, you add all that up with everybody coming to work, there's your culture. That can either be purposeful or it can be whatever unintended, whatever, the, you know, and then suffer the consequences of, of that. Uh, so, so when you're thinking about values, if you, if you don't have core values in your company, you should consider them. And then how would you do that? Well, think to yourself, and this goes, you know, led by the CEO, you know, what is it that you believe? How do, how do you behave every day? And are, and, and how would you define those behaviors? Right. And those start to form core values. If you want other people's input, I put some examples in the book, some how to's on how you can actually engage your teams, your employees to get their input on building core values. And you and and I drive it all the way home, Craig. Where once you have uh, established core values in your company and what all the behaviors are, you literally you literally disseminate that, and you're preaching that across your entire company. So if you know the behaviors that are associated with a certain type of position that you're looking for, okay, then who's ever recruiting for those positions needs to know the types of behaviors they're looking for create questions of your candidates and people interviewing for the jobs that would elicit answers associated with those types of behaviors. So you're not taking a one size fits all interview questionnaire package and asking everybody, you know, depend, regardless of their position, the same questions, and then trying to figure out why you're not finding the right fit for your company. Mm. So I, I try to, in the book, go into, through the stories, go into the ways uh, with some how to's and so forth uh, that leaders uh, CEOs, uh, whoever can get business leaders, get their hands on the book, can really start looking at why values, uh, why values matter and why they drive results. Um, big topic. Yeah. It made me think of uh, a comparison here. I think when we, when we are recruiting people for jobs, we need to think about it the same as a sports team. So, the best sports team is not always the 11, you know, say for a soccer team, you know, just putting the world's 11 best soccer players on the field doesn't mean they're going to perform. It's around right. the team and it's around how do you align those values and behaviors. So when you're recruiting people, if you're not recruiting based on values and on the behaviors that you want, it doesn't matter how good that person is, it's probably right. not going to work. It's probably not going to work. Yeah. There's so much evidence for that. But yet people continue to make that same that same mistake uh, over and over and over again because they don't, in my opinion, they just don't take the time um, to formulate uh, what that is and what that looks like. Uh, it takes real genuine leadership uh, to get to the bottom of that and lead that through through the company. Mm. Yeah, so important. Yeah. It, and, and I'm curious, right? So, so I'm yeah. listening here and I can see some sort of things coming through here, but I'd love to know what you think, are, or sorry, what you know your core values are as a person. Yeah. So me as a, me as a person, I wrote about this, 
in the book. I didn't know what I did not know really what values were uh, until I joined the army. And the army in 1995, uh, which was a year after I was on active duty, uh, they they formulated and they published seven core values: loyalty, duty, respect, uh, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. I have taken those and and manipulated those for the civilian world because the army of course has their definitions and what they mean to be in a soldier right in the army uh but i've taken personal definitions from those for myself and and i and i and i say this in the book too you know if you don't have values these are seven great values that you just can't go wrong with mm. right there's there's nothing wrong with any of them and if you can embody these values and the behaviors associated therein you you could really make a difference in this world um so i you know along with discipline commitment i give i give credit back to that organization to introducing me to what values are and and how they're used and the importance of them and the importance of identifying all the behaviors and, and leading people through those behaviors along the way uh, so that you do have alignment in your organization uh so so yeah so i've adopted I, I i adopted them i adopted them at an early age brilliant and you know so you you have done a lot around leadership and human resources and how they fit together from a values point of view on the first of january 2021 you're launching the bravo um, center of excellence you what is the inspiration behind creating a platform yeah. for hr professionals in to become leaders Excellent question. I love that question because I had an, I had an aha moment um, several, a few years ago uh, when I was going through my MBA program at the University of Michigan, and it was the dean of the Ross School of Business, Scott DeRue. He, he led, he actually was the professor for our very last course. And it was all on, a lot of on, on leadership and so forth. And one of the studies that he presented uh, was, a Harvard, was a Harvard business study and it was focused on HR and leadership within human resources. And though I had kind of felt this way, it kind of, it was that aha moment that said, oh, there's a study on this and this kind of rings true. And it was, you know, they, they, they go to all these CEOs globally. And th the simple question is, do you view your top HR professional as a leader or as an administrator, right? And 75% said administrators. So only one in four were viewed as actual leaders in their organization that could, that could partake in finding solutions to business needs, not just transactional, the transactional portion of human resources, you know, where you're doing benefits and enrolling people in benefits and compensation and you're investigating employee relations. That's all, that's all great. Those are needed things. But who's who's working to find and to align the people operations with the actual business needs of the company? You know, who's leading that effort? And and that's when I said, you know what, somehow, some way, someday. And now that day is coming to to fruition here in a month. It's on it's on me. Uh, I want to take on this mission to to change that uh, to to switch that around. So instead of one and four, it's three and four, right? That, that would be fantastic. And to deliver the type of uh, leadership, leadership education, leadership development 
for human resource professionals and even for business leaders so they know what so they know what to get and what they're looking to get out of their HR folks. Um, it's not just compliance in a box, you know, hey, we can't do this, we can't do that. You can only ask these questions in an interview, don't talk about this. You know, that's, that's not what it is. If you wanna be a real um, leader in your organization, you're leading people and you're, you're the person, you're the, people, the people's people, if you will. That's what human resources should be. And the leader at the top of that, has to demonstrate those leadership abilities, be in tune with the business. So having the business acumen, the strategy acumen, and how to tie all that together so that you come up with the right HR strategies in order to meet the business needs now and into the future. So that's what we're gonna attack. That's what we're, going, that's what we're coming out of the gate with, with the Bravo Center of Excellence, is leadership in HR and, and, and bringing that development program um, to the market. Uh, to focus on that specifically. Yeah, I love it. I think it's such a an important part of the of the world that we we don't spend enough time focusing on. And you know, to me, it, it's a make or break whether a company will be um, performing at a high level or not is whether you get yep. the right people on board. And so we need to empower the people that are leading that to you know, feel like they're leaders and know that they're leaders and they're a really important part of the organisation. Yeah. I agree. We all know smart people have great answers, <laughs> but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? You know, when I, when I read that in prepping, I was like, wow, that's so, that's so uh, relevant because it literally just happened um, a couple of days ago. Has nothing to do with um, just in straight line with the question. Uh, my wife my wife renovates homes, uh, flips houses, uh, and she buys them. They're in pretty bad shape, uh, and gets them all refurbished and gets them back out into the market. So her motto is rejuvenating the neighborhood one, one home at a time. And, uh, this past weekend, uh, this house that she was working on, she actually gave me the project. And I'm like, wow, I've never done this before. <laughs> and I had to, um, you know, I've done hardwood flooring and so forth, but this particular floor set of stairs, uh, an old, old house. Um, I had to, I had to basically rip old flooring off. Um, and part, for this room, the best thing to work was some indoor outdoor carpet, uh, and all kinds of angles to cut, but, but I did it. I got it done. Looks good. So it was literally a first, a first for me. It was the first time, uh, it was the last time I did something for the first time. <laughs> Nothing better yeah. than getting the hands dirty and, and being the on the tools. <laughs> yep. Labor. I was a follower. I just followed instructions and did what I was asked to do. Brilliant. Well, what yeah. is the one question that you would love to solve? Yeah. So, so, so I think this goes in line with what we were talking about with the Bravo Center of Excellence and it's, and it's the it's the it's the mission that I'm out to solve. And I wrote this down. How do I change the tides and turn HR professionals into leaders? Right. So I'm doing my best to try and solve for that uh, in delivering the best education content uh, that I can uh, in order to to make that type of impact. Does that make sense? Very good. Very good. Yep. For you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? Yeah, my definition of that, Craig, is, is never being complacent 
and using my my own uh, gifts and talents, my experiences uh, to serve others and to, to never stop doing that. I'm not one that uh, that believes that just because I turn a certain age, uh, that that means it's time to retire and I just, you know, fade out into the into the wind or whatever, whatever it gets done. Right. It's life's not over till it's over. So it's it's just the daily uh, passion to to serve others and to give back through um, through my experiences and 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 that be the legacy that I leave. Mm. Fascinating. I really like that approach. And I think that's so important. You know, people think about themselves a bit too much, but I think those that are true leaders always think about how they can serve other people. Bo, I agree. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, so uh, website is robertbrabo.com. Uh, that's a B at the end, B-R-A-B-O. Uh, that has, you know, my bio, it has ways to contact me. It's got my email, phone number. You can send messages through the website. Uh, always, always happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. Uh, so it's it's uh, Robert Brab LinkedIn, whatever the, the first part of it is, and then profiles Robert Brabo. Uh, you'll see that because when you, when you go on the link, um, it's got the website there too, robertbrabo.com. That's probably the fastest, easiest way uh, for anybody around the world uh, to get in touch. Excellent. We'll put those links in the show notes uh, as along with your podcast link as well so people can check out what you're talking about and the people you're connecting with there. Sure. It, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today uh, to, to hear you know, from back when you were 17 years old how you were inspired to go in and serve as part of the U.S. Army. And where that has led you to focusing on people and your whole life being around how do we serve people? How do we ensure that people um, connect through values? How to ensure that companies or teams can thrive based on the way that people are put together in, in a team environment? To, to listening to your insights into the excellence that's required and the quality control that is needed for when you are executing in say a US Army with regards how do you execute a project, not execute a person, execute a project there, <laughs> put that the right way. Um, when you're working for the, you know, in a presidential, uh, you know, place as well, the detail that goes in behind the event. You know, people might see the president speak for one minute to 10 minutes, maybe 60 minutes if you're absolutely lucky, but the amount of hours and people and days that goes into making sure that's a success every single time is absolutely crucial. Um, I, I love what you're wanting to do and, and are creating at the moment with regards to the center of excellence. And we look forward to seeing that thriving in 2021. And I know you're going to be making a massive difference to many people's lives. Thank you so much for sharing your insights into leadership, into HR, and for people generally being great people. So thank you very much for your time today, Bo. Thanks, Greg. Uh, thank you for listening to an incredible conversation with Bo Brabo, White House Leadership Values on the Active CEO Podcast. Do you have clarity on your DNA? You know, for me, I like to have DNA rather than values to provide clarity. 
you know, and to me, I always find that values can be a little bit too broad, can be too open. Whereas when you start looking at things like DNA, you get, you go deeper and a lot more specific around what's important for you as a person or what's important for you, uh, for your company. So here are the eight DNA that define how I live and work. First one, passion. Light the spark that makes a difference. Number two, learn. Plant a seed every day. Number three, freedom. Live healthy, laugh lots, explore more, no regrets. Number four, performance. Bring out the brilliance in everyone. Number five, generosity. Give more than you receive. Number six, challenge. Courageous in the uncomfortable. Number seven, community. Make friends and bring people together. And number eight, ingenuity. Inspire genius through creative collaboration. So there are my eight DNA that I live by. So as you can see, there's one word and then how you, know, you explain it. So for me, uh, with my business, Energy to Perform, and for myself personally, they are the eight things that I, I look at every single day, I make sure I'm aligned with. And for me, it's really easy because I hadn't chosen because I thought that'd be cool. I chose them because they really connect deep in my heart. So passion, learn, freedom, performance, generosity, challenge, community, and ingenuity. That's how I live my life every single day. What is your DNA? What, are you, what defines how you live and work every single day? Have you got clarity on your non-negotiable DNA that you live by? If you need someone to guide, support, and hold you accountable on your DNA through Active CEO Coaching, then please contact me at craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of craigjohns.com.au website. Thank you so much for listening. This has uh, been a great episode to kick off 2021. It's going to be a fantastic year. We've got a lot of amazing guests lined up for you. I am Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.